The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. good. I want to get into the Word this morning. If you, if you have an opportunity as you uh, get things together here to get in the Word, to pull out your bulletin, I'd like for you to do that. If you got one on your way in, that's great. If you didn't get one, I want to ask you to get one on your way out. We always want to draw your attention to events that are coming up. It's important to do that, uh, especially with the, the month of March. We're already in March. Can you believe that? I mean, you're still writing 2018 on things. Uh, yeah, well, you guys are doing better than me. All right. Uh, here in your bulletin, you see a few things, ladies' Bible study, the men's meeting. Men's meeting on Saturday has just been phenomenal. Really grateful to, for uh, uh, the leadership of Marcus there assembling that and all the guys being faithful to come out. Uh, it's really awesome. Uh, the guys that do uh, bring the breakfast there, it's always good. Thank you to the wives of those guys for doing that for them because I have a feeling it wasn't the guy. Uh, yeah. And then uh, I want to make sure that you see this. Uh, it's on the, the top of the bulletin there, uh, top left, Nigel McNeil. It's, what, that's right. That's exactly right, yeah. If, if it were not for the wives, we would probably not make it home on time there. So, All right, Nigel McNeil, uh, he's coming here this, this month. That's the 17th through the 20th. Uh, Nigel is a massive influence in my life. Obviously, those services, looking forward to those things. Uh, it's always a joy to have him here. It does require a bit of planning, though, since there's so many services. Uh, in, in three days there, you'll have you know, four services is what we're anticipating. Uh, you want to make sure and mark your calendar. If you're like me, it's hard to have four evenings in a row free any time of the year. But if you have a chance to mark your calendar, be around for those, I want to strongly encourage you to do that. Uh, and you also have your response form there. We want to share in your uh, uh, ministry needs and praise reports. Be sure and share those with us. Uh, I want to get into the Word this morning. Now, there's something about days like today that always uh, frustrate me and excite me. It can be frustrating because you know and understand that you're probably going to be preaching to the choir, so to speak. The people that come to services on days like today are generally the most committed, devoted, uh, volunteering, you know, wonderfully uh, grounded people. It's not always the case, but it's most of the time the case. So, as we're preparing the word this morning, I'm trying to weed out all of those kinds of influences and just find out, you know, God, what is it that you desire to speak this morning? And when we were uh, coming up with these things, as we're sitting there in that time of fellowship, uh, the word was repentance. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And so I thought I would go to my wife just to see what she thought as a little confirmation. You know, that's what most strong spiritually leading men do, Right. So I go to my wife and I say, hey, honey, I think God is, is moving on me to, to speak on repentance this morning. And she said, oh, good, you need that. Oh, good, you need that. So hopefully I get what I need this morning as we get into the word together. Now, last week we talked about life. Remember, we talked about life and, and we contrasted it with death. And, and we're, you know, we are called into life. We looked at every decision as being a decision where we have a choice. The Bible told us that we can choose life or choose death in any situation or any circumstance, any moment, day or night. Everything that we do, we're faced with the decision. Am I going to do this God's way or am I going to do this my way? That was last week. 
Now, this week, we're going to talk about repentance because what happens when you don't choose God's way? What happens when you do choose your way? I mean, are you just up the creek? Or is there an option, an opportunity for you? And praise God for repentance. We're going to talk about repentance because God has given us an option. Now, here's a few things we're going to find. I love note-taking. If you have a pen or paper, you can write some things down. If you don't have a pen or paper, see if you can mug your neighbor for something because writing things down is important. It's how we remember things. It's also an opportunity for you to revisit those things in your own time. Because we're all here together, and we're going to hear this message, but God wants to minister these things to each one of us personally, and especially me, according to my wife. So here's a few things that we're going to find. If you want to write these down, I encourage that. Things that you can look forward to. Where God wants everyone to come to. Now, obviously, this morning, if God wanted everyone to come to church, he'd be a little disappointed, wouldn't he? But God bless you for overcoming and being here. We're going to find out where God wants everyone to come to. That's one thing we'll find. A second thing we're going to find is, hold on a second, what comes before, I didn't mark it on here. Uh Uh-oh, that's a mess. Oh, I did mark it. There it is. What comes before revival? What comes before revival? We talk about revival a lot, don't we? I mean, we have opportunities to see things happen and come to pass in our church services, ministry, and things like that. I mean, if we were to have a church service where people were coming and they were being healed and they were having their needs met and they were deciding to stop living uh, the way they used to live and begin to live the way God lived, a lot of people would call that revival. If you saw a city change and and its dynamic, and the mentality of people, and how people lived, we would call it revival. There's something that's always going to come before any kind of revival. Now, I, I, I love the idea of revival, and things happening, and you know, a lot of times when you say the word revival, people picture certain types of church meetings, and oftentimes they picture, you know, tents, or guys on TV, you know, or, or something like that. But I think that revival is a biblical thing and a good thing, and there's something that we need to focus on in order to see revival take place. If we only focus on revival, we'll never see it. We need to focus on what brings revival into existence. So we're going to find out what comes before revival. The second thing we're going to find is what we need, or excuse me, the third thing we're going to find, what we need to pray for. What we need to pray for. And I think that learning how to pray is an important thing. And I love that that the disciples asked Jesus. I mean, can you imagine getting the guts up, you know, you're standing around with the guys and you're hanging out with Jesus and and Jesus is leading all of these meetings and there's great things happening. People are being healed and and people are being set free from things that had their life uh, in ruins. You see all these great things happening and and Jesus is praying and, and people are starting to realize like, wow, I don't pray like that. He sounds a little different than me. And, and don't you know that they probably got the new guy, you know? Hey, new guy, come here. Go ask him how he does that. Why don't you ask him? Just do it. You're the new guy. That's what the new guy does. So he probably goes over to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, I was talking to some of the guys, you know, and, and they, they kind of want you to teach them how to pray. Will you teach us how to pray? And, and Jesus answers them. Praise God he answers them, and his answer is sure. Absolutely. You know what that tells me? That tells me that prayer is a learned behavior, that it can be taught. 
And that's important. Like prayer is not a spiritual gift where you have it or you don't have it or maybe you could access it. But prayer is actually a behavior that we can learn. We can be discipled into being people that pray with understanding. I want to find out how we need to pray. And the third thing we're going to find is what we need to pray for. So let's get started. I told you before we're going to find out where God wants everyone to come to. If you have your notes there in your Bibles, go ahead and write down and turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Now, I want to move really quickly this morning because there's a lot of material that I want to give to you. I'm going to ask you to write several things down. You're welcome to write those things down. Anything that you write down, I want to encourage you to go and revisit in your own time. I don't want to get hung up on any one part of this, but I want to deliver all of it this morning in one message. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 is like this. I told you before we're going to find where God wants everyone to come to. It reads like this. The Lord is not slow about his promise, but he's patient towards you. And he's not wishing for anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. That's where God wants us all to come to. The Lord isn't slow about his promise. In fact, he's patient. He's patient towards you, and he's not wanting anyone to perish, but he's wanting all. Now, because we're few in number, I'm going to ask you to kind of engage with me this morning. Can you say all? All. I mean, that's an important word. Do you realize that all includes everyone? There's nobody left out of all. So what he's not saying there is that, you know, God is good about his promises, and he's patient toward your your jerk neighbor, who, who always, you know, borrows your stuff and returns it broken. And God really wants that guy to come to repentance. And everyone like him. But this message this morning, based on that verse, is for every single person in the room. I don't care how long you've been a believer. It doesn't matter to me. Repentance is a, is a part of our Christian walk, and it is meant for every single human being. And God is desiring for us all to come to a place of repentance. And and repentance has been a priority. It's been a priority from the start. It's not meant to be simply a message that we would minister, but it's meant to be at the heart of every message that we minister. It's not meant to be a part of the Christian walk, whether it's meant to be a part of every step of the Christian walk. In fact, uh, repentance is foundational, and the Scripture reveals that. I want to mention a couple of passages of Scripture here. Involving Jesus as he began to preach. Matthew chapter 4 verse 17. It reveals that when Jesus began to preach, he began and he would say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now when I read that, it speaks to me something. That no matter what Jesus preached about, no matter what situation he was dealing with, no matter what sermon topic he was speaking on, or what people group he was talking to, the point of every message that he ever preached was to bring people to repentance because the kingdom of God was coming. It was near. It was right there. Or as some of your Bibles say, at hand. And isn't it interesting to see that word for there, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, I never really did good in English class, but I kind of like English. I like the idea of words because they communicate things. And if we take the time to examine the words, we can really learn a lot. We can see what it is that's being said. And if we don't just read that quickly, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, but we stop and we break it down, we can identify something. The word for is interchangeable with the word because, right? 
I mean, like, right now, it's nearly 11 o'clock. And you might be able to say, uh, I hope he preaches really fast, for I am hungry today. You could substitute the word for, you could substitute because for the word for. I hope that he preaches really fast because I'm hungry today, right? So think about this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If we want any part in the kingdom of heaven, it's going to require the cause that leads to that effect. It's going to require repentance. Jesus said this again in the Gospel of Mark. It's recorded in chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. And he says it like this. As he came into Galilee, that's a place, he began to preach. And as he was preaching the Gospel of God, he would say, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of heaven is at hand, so repent and believe in the Gospel. Now this is just a side note, but anytime you see the word believe, it means put trust in. Oftentimes, we just think believe means acknowledge something exists. But the word believe in the scripture is much more than acknowledging that something exists. It's about making your life depend on it, putting your trust in it, the same way that my trust is in the floor to hold me up where I stand. And it's not just Jesus that would preach repentance. I mean, every message that he preached, the purpose behind it was to bring people to repentance. But even when he sent out the disciples, and by the way, that's me and that's you. If you belong to Jesus Christ, you're one of his disciples. And you have a calling and an anointing to go and do the works of Jesus Christ, just like him. To set free those who are suffering affliction and to preach the gospel and to bring vision and reveal the favor of God. Everything that Jesus is anointed to do, we're anointed to do as the disciples of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus went to his disciples and sent them out to preach... It reads like this in Mark chapter 6, verse 12. And they went out and preached that men should repent. Isn't that interesting? They went out and preached that men should repent. Now, I'm sure that they had lots of messages. I'm sure that they went out and preached some of the same things that they'd heard Jesus speak. But the purpose behind every one of their messages was that men should repent. I think we've gone astray from that a little bit in the church in the West. I think we've gotten interested in other things. We've lost sight of the point of of getting into the Word of God and the purpose behind digging into the things of the Word. And I want to understand the word repent so that we can have our minds right as we read these things in the Scripture. Repentance, it it means something, and it means something specific. And if we go to the dictionary to look it up, we can find some helpful information. Now, before we talk about repent, I want to just ask a question. I mean, really, I want to find some common ground with you. Now, if you're sitting next to a significant other, and, and it happens to be this person that you would be referring to, you don't have to throw your hand up or anything, but I want you to think, have you ever been around somebody that gave really bad apologies? I mean, really bad. A major part of my life was around someone that was really awful at apologizing. And and it was really difficult. I mean, you you would hear apologies like this. Well, I'm sorry if that hurt you. You ever heard one like that? It's like that's really more of an insult than an apology, isn't it? I mean, there's no acknowledging that anything wrong was done. 
But when we talk about repentance, we're not really talking about apologies. We're talking about change. And if you look up the word repent, that's really what it means at its core. By its definition and its foundations, it means to change. Now that change is birthed out of a a remorse or a conviction. But remorse or conviction by itself isn't repentance. Remorse or conviction by itself is simply remorse or conviction. It's the change that makes that remorse or conviction become repentance. And when you look it up in the Word, it literally means to change one's mind. So when repentance is going on, when Jesus is preaching, when we're in the Word right here and right now, the purpose is meant to bring us to a place of change. God is wanting to get a hold of our minds so that we don't see things the way the world sees it. We begin to see things the way God sees things. He's wanting to change us. Now there's a reason why. I mean, why repentance? I want to read a passage of Scripture to you, and I want you to to listen carefully But here comes the buzzword in the middle of this. You'll hear a because, okay? So watch out for that because. Listen to these words from Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 30. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to all men that all people everywhere. How many people? All people where? Everywhere. All people everywhere is extremely all-inclusive. All people everywhere should repent because, here comes the cause, because God has fixed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom He has appointed, that man is Jesus, having furnished proof to all men by raising Him, Jesus, from the dead. All men everywhere should repent because a day is coming when there's going to be judgment. We should talk about that, don't you think? There's negative effects if we refuse to discuss repentance, if we refuse to examine it and and embrace it in our lives. Luke chapter 13, it says it twice in verse 3 and verse 5, I tell you the truth, now it's Jesus talking, He says, unless you repent, you'll all perish. And Psalm 7 verse 12 says, if a man does not repent, he sharpens his sword. His is a capital H there, meaning God's. He sharpens the sword of God, and he bends his bow to make it ready. I think repentance should be a priority in our life. We need to understand what this change means, what it looks like, how to pursue it. And I want to create an anticipation as we talk about repentance. Remember, we're not talking about apologies. We're talking about change. There's benefits that come with this repentance that I think are important. As we see repentance preached, now all of these passages are from the book of Acts. As you see the gospel preached, repentance is spoken of. As it's preached to the Jew, as it's preached to the Gentile, as it's preached to everyone, everywhere, you see something wonderful revealed. Wonderful benefits. Repentance and its results. Acts chapter 5 verses 31. I want to just read these to you. I want to encourage you to write them down. I'm going to give you the main point and you can look them up in your own time. Acts 5.31 connects repentance with the forgiveness of sin. And Acts chapter 26 verse 20 connects repentance 
with then performing the deeds appropriate with repentance. Meaning you've changed. You no longer do things a certain way. Now you do things the right way. That's a real wonderful benefit. I can tell you in my life, there was an addiction and a bondage in my life. For years, I was addicted to alcohol, and it was a horrible addiction. I mean, my life was miserable. Let me tell you something. You don't look cool waking up in your own urine and vomit. And I hated it, and I knew I was destroying my life. And every day, every moment of every day, I wanted to be free from it, but I couldn't. Until repentance. And with repentance, with change, there was the opportunity to perform the deeds appropriate with repentance, as the Scripture put it, puts it. Excuse me. It just meant living the right way. Another thing connected with repentance. In Acts chapter 20, verse 21, repentance is connected with faith in God and Jesus. That faith that's required to please God, that willingness and ability to trust in Him. And then Acts chapter 11, verse 18, repentance is connected with something that I know we all desire. It says, God has granted to us the repentance that leads to life. If repentance leads to life, how will we ever find life without repentance? We should prioritize it. We should talk about it. We should celebrate it and embrace it. And speaking of celebrating repentance, repentance brings a celebration. Repentance always goes noticed. I want to say that again in the negative. Repentance is never unnoticed. It is always noticed. Hear this verse, Luke chapter 15, verse 10. Jesus is speaking. He says, there's joy in the presence of the angels. Every time a sinner repents. For me personally, that would have been in the middle of a a jail cell in Travis County. No preachers around, no congregation around, no one to clap and cheer and say, attaboy, you made the right choice. Praise God, you're one of us now. But just somebody in the middle of solitude, crying out to God, repenting, it did not go unnoticed. It was noticed. And there was a celebration. Repentance is foundational. We mentioned that earlier. That it's not just a part of the believer's life. It's at the foundation of every part of the believer's life. That it's not a step in Christianity. But it is in every step of Christianity. Repentance is foundational. I'd like for you to write down this verse for your notes. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1. Hebrews 6 1. It begins a passage that is very interesting to read in your own time, but I want us to notice that repentance is foundational. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about Jesus Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God. Repentance is foundational. It is step one, foundation in every aspect of the believer's life. Every moment of my life, as I'm operating as a believer, repentance is at the foundation of every act. Because without repentance, there wouldn't be the change that would make righteousness possible. I want to give you a couple more passages of Scripture. Luke chapter 24, verses 46 and 47. 
And Jesus said to them, Thus it's written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all of the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Now there's something there that is important to me. Again, it's all-inclusive. But I want to ask you to turn there, Luke chapter 24. I want to get a little bit of context with that. Because this morning as I was reading it, something really stood out. And I think that if it could stand out to all of us, it could help us value this message of repentance being embraced and preached. Now there's something going on here in Luke chapter 24. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time here. But Jesus has risen from the grave. He's gone to the cross. He's breathed his last. Three days have gone by. The stone rolled away and he has risen. He's alive. And he reveals himself to believers. Now in your Bibles there, you'll see the, the walk to Emmaus or the road to Emmaus. You'll see these men walk with this man. They don't recognize him as Jesus because... By all accounts, they know that Jesus is, has, is dead. They, they're not believing that he's even raised, raised up from the grave, but they're walking with this man, and as he's talking, their hearts begin to burn because they're realizing he's speaking words of truth. Now, we began there in 46, but I want to look just above verse 46. And Jesus began to speak to them now in verse 44, and he says, these are my words which I spoke to you. While I was still with you, all the things that are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now look at verse 45. Then. Can you say then? Then. So here's what you see in verse 44. Jesus is talking to them about everything that's written in the law, in the prophets, in the Psalms. That means he's discussed the entire scripture with them. Then. Then, verse 45, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it's written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning with Jerusalem. Let me tell you what that means to me. We could study and come to an understanding of everything in the law and everything in the prophets and everything in the Psalms, but until we understand that the point is repentance, our minds aren't open to understand the Scripture. We need to understand repentance. We need to embrace repentance and prioritize repentance. In fact, we could have the most incredible church services ever recorded by men, and we've had some great ones. But it really wouldn't mean much. You could be attractive to the city and bring in the masses. You could see miraculous things. But without repentance, it would all just be a show. In fact, Jesus dealt with this. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 20, he says something, or something's recorded rather, that's revealing what's going on. Here's how the verse reads in Matthew chapter 11, verse 20. Then he, and the he there is Jesus, then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they didn't repent. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? 
I mean, if I went to a church and I saw a lot of miracles being done, I would think this is a good church. But what we ought to be desiring to see is our people's lives being changed. Our people abandoning the ways of the world that are leading to destruction and embracing the ways that are righteous that lead to life. If we see that, then we're in a good place. Repentance takes us somewhere. Remember, I mean, in the beginning, God is wanting us to come to repentance, but then repentance leads us somewhere. I want to read a passage of Scripture to you, and then I want to tell you where repentance leads us. Revelation 3.19 says, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. It means God is drawing us to this change because He loves us so much. And here's where that change takes us. When we're willing to repent, when we're willing to embrace that change, when we're willing to come to repentance, repentance then leads us someplace, and it's someplace powerful. 2 Timothy 2, verse 25. Repentance leads to the knowledge of the truth. To the knowledge of the truth. Now, anytime you see the word truth in your Bible, there needs to be a bell or an alarm that goes off in your head. The word truth needs to be immediately connected with God, the Word of God, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is named or called the Spirit of Truth. So as we see this passage of Scripture, we need to understand that repentance leads us to the knowledge of the truth, meaning that repentance is what takes us to everything that is Yahweh. Everything that is God. Repentance. Change. I know we desire to see great things. We desire to see what we would call revival. We desire to see people come in and people receive. And I desire, I pray for that. But something will always precede that and it can affect how we pray. It could redirect our prayers. Instead of praying for the effect, we could begin to pray for the cause. Instead of beginning to pray for God to send in people and and heal the sick and raise the dead, we could begin to ask God to do something that leads to all of that taking place. Repentance will always precede revival. Always. If you're writing that down, you can write it down like this. Repentance will always precede revival, dot, 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 always, in all caps, exclamation point. Always. Remember earlier when we were looking at Jesus preaching repentance, when he began all of his services with repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, when he was revealing that the purpose behind every message was for people to come to repentance, then he sent the disciples out. And they began to preach that all men should repent. You'll see what happens when they begin to preach that all men should repent. Mark chapter 6 verse 12. That's where we saw that the disciples preached that all men should repent. We're going to read Mark chapter 6 verse 12 and then 13. Revealing what happened when they began to preach that all men should repent. Mark chapter 6 verses 12 and 13. Then they went out, that's the disciples, and preached that all men should repent. And they were casting out many demons and anointing those who were sick with oil. And the sick were being healed. 
How awesome is that? I mean, would we not call that revival? I would. But oftentimes I think we get fixated on the result. We get fixated on the, the freedom, the, the relief from the demonic oppression and the healing. We get fixated on the results and we miss out on what's causing those results and we ought to focus on that. Father, let us be a repentant people. Let the message that we preach when we speak and when we engage this world, let it be that you are real, that judgment is coming and that change is necessary. Repent. Give us the vocabulary to speak and the right words and the right timing that we wouldn't be written off as fanatical, but that we would be embraced as wise and knowing that you are coming soon. I want to give you another passage of scripture here. I mentioned before that repentance will always precede revival. I'd like for you to write these passages down in your notes and turn to the book of Acts, chapter 3, verse 19. Acts 3, verse 19. It reads like this. Therefore, repent and return. Repent and return. The call to repentance means change. The return is to return to the ways of God, the things of God, the way God desires things to be done. Repent and return. And the next words are so that. Will you say so that? Yes, yeah, so that. So that is important. I mean, so that is revealing a change in the text here. So that is revealing that repenting and returning produces what comes next. Repent and return so that. So that one, your sins may be wiped away. And there's a reason why God desires to wipe our sins away because He's desiring to do something in each one of our lives and in this house as a congregation so that your sins might be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Times of refreshing. I mean, it sounds nice, doesn't it? If you look up the word refreshing in your concordance, you'll find the word revival. So let's consider that for a second and substitute the word revival for refreshing. Repent and return so that your sins may be washed away in order that times of revival may come. Revival to what? Fill in the blank. Revival in my marriage. Revival with my family. Revival in the congregation. Revival in my workplace. Revival in my own life. Repent and return so that the corruption can be washed away in order that times of refreshing may come. That tells me something. There is an order to things. Times of refreshing, revival, will not come because if it comes when sin is washed away, when sin is washed away in order that times of refreshing may come, we need to see the sin removed and it comes when we change, when we repent, when we call out to God saying, I'm done doing it my way. I'm committed to doing it your way. And I'm going to return to the things that are of you. We open the door for that revival to take place. There's another translation for that word. It's a Greek word. It means revival, but it also means recovery of breath. The recovery of breath. I think that's a really important thing. Because when we talk about revival, we think about the meetings and the tents and the, you know, the, 
the evangelist and all of those things, and a lot of that thinking is, is mildly corrupted. But I want you to think about revival like you would see in a hospital. It means something different there, doesn't it? When someone has to be revived there, it's because they're dead. And they have to be brought back. The recovery of breath. There's not a single person in this room, if I were to ask us to, and I'm not asking you to, to simply hold your breath. At some point, you would see how important revival is. For some of you, it would be 30 seconds. For some, the tougher, it would be 60. And for some of you special forces guys, it might be two minutes. But it wouldn't take long before you realized you needed recovery of breath or you would die. Repentance is a life or death situation. It opens the door to that recovery of breath that's necessary for us to live. If we cut off repentance, if we refuse to change, and we stay committed to doing things our way, it will result in death. Peter says something in Acts chapter 2, and he says this as he begins to preach. Now, I have a feeling he's preached before because he's one that was sent out when Jesus sent people out to preach repentance. But this is a first. It's right after he's been baptized in the Holy Spirit and it's recorded as his first message and some 3,000 people come and are born again. It's a wonderful thing. But here's what he says in Acts chapter 2 beginning in verse 38. Peter said to them, repent each one of you. That's what it starts with. Repent. Each one of you. It's a personal thing. Each one of you. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children. For all who are here, near and far. As many as the Lord will call unto Himself. You know, oftentimes people ask me what kind of church Champions Church is. And I, I know what answer they're looking for. You know, they're wondering, are you Baptist? Are you Lutheran? Are you Methodist? Are you this? Are you that? And, and I'll, I'll tell them, well, it's an interdenominational church, you know. I don't like saying non-denominational, but we've got people from all kinds of backgrounds here. I mean, I, I was raised up in a charismatic church. I wasn't born again until I was 19, but I grew up in a church, and my wife grew up in a Church of Christ environment, and we've got people that have grown up in Baptist environments, all kinds of different environments. I mean, when I was an infant, I was baptized in the Catholic Church. You know, my parents were Catholic. So we have all kinds of, of backgrounds here. But it, that's how I can explain to someone the, the type of church. The reality is my desire for Champions Church is to be a spirit-filled church. Now, what makes a spirit-filled church is spirit-filled Christians. A spirit-filled church is not a spirit-filled church because of its mission statement or, or its, its stances that it posts on the internet or its sign that it puts out front. A spirit-filled congregation is only when the Christians that make up that congregation are filled with the Holy Ghost. That's what makes it that way. Doesn't matter what you put on your sign. We could put Champions Church, home with the Holy Ghost. It could be the biggest lie we've ever told. 
But something is necessary, obviously, as, as Peter is preaching and people have witnessed that there's a spirit-filled community and they're drawn to it, they're desiring to know what's going on over there. He doesn't make any uh, 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 apologies for it. He opens and he starts with, hey, if you're seeing this and you want to partake in it, it starts with this, repent. You're going to have to change the way you do things and begin to do things God's way. You can't just sign up to be on our mailing list or be associated with our corporation and have that be enough. If you want a part of this, it's going to mean personal, individual change. You're going to have to lay down worldly ways and return to the ways of God. You're going to have to repent. My desires for this house, for us, to be a spirit-filled community is going to require that for us. I'm at the very front of that line. We need to be a people of repentance. We need to be immersed in Jesus Christ. And we need to see the Spirit of God poured out on each one of us. That we might know that time of refreshing, that revival, that recovery of breath. So I think we've made the point that repentance is important, that it's necessary. I mean, if we've come to that place, then I want to find out how, how do I become a repentant person? I mean, what can I do? You could end the message right there, and normally I do two pages, just like this, two pages. But my concern is if we end there, then all we've done is just learn that repenting is important. So today we have three pages. Because I want to know what we need to do to be repentant. I think we agree it's important. We see that it's necessary. We know that, that it's required to see revival, recovery of breath, the life that God's brought into existence. We see it as a priority in every message Jesus preached and in all the disciples that preached after him. Pray, repent, repent, repent is the purpose behind every message. We've come to the place where it's important. We need to come to the place where we can understand how we can be a repentant people. You can't repent without first recognizing sin. If we're going to learn how to be a repentant people, we have to be able to examine ourselves and see sin. It's impossible to repent if you don't think you've done anything wrong. I had a situation in a church years back. It was a dreadful situation. It was so foul, the sin. It involved immorality and death and gross things. It was really bad, as bad as they come. And the individual that was responsible for these things came to meet with us. The leaders, they met, and we sat around there. He was a young man that I loved greatly had spent a lot of time at our home. And all I wanted was for him to repent. Knowing that he needed it, that if he didn't repent, it was going to mean trouble for him. It was going to mean death, ultimately. And in, in an atmosphere of grace, we sat there, and I informed him, I want to give you the opportunity to repent. He looked up, looked around the room, 
And he seemed to sit up a little stiffer and his chest came out a little bit. And he said, I've done nothing wrong. I was so grieved because I know this meeting is over. There's nothing that can be done for this man until he can acknowledge that what he's done is wrong. That he's gone against the ways of God. That he's made decisions on his own that are destructive, that are sinful, that are rebellious. And I informed him that until he could see that he was wrong, there was absolutely nothing we could do other than pray for him. And I'll tell you how I still pray for him today here in a few minutes. You can't repent until first recognizing sin. I mean, Jesus says something, and I want us to be able to read between the lines a little bit here. If you want to take it down for your notes, I encourage that. Luke chapter 5, verse 32. Jesus said, I I haven't come to call the righteous, but call sinners to repentance. Now, if we read that, we can make a mistake. We can think that Jesus is only calling one people group. I mean, Jesus came to call the righteous as well. But he's acknowledging something. That righteousness doesn't need to repent. But sin does. The only way we can be a repentant people is if we can examine our lives and find sin. It requires a humbling of the heart, a willingness to be wrong. What it takes to repent. I want to read a passage of scripture to you, and then I want us to examine it together. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, it reads like this. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces repentance without regret and leads to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. I'm learning something here as I read that. If I want to be a repentant person, I'm going to need this sorrow that leads me to repentance. This sorrow that produces repentance is the better way to say it. A sorrow that is according to the will of God, meaning that God has ordained for me to examine an area of my life and have my heart broken by that area to realize that's not right. No matter how much I like it, no matter how much I enjoy it, no matter how good it makes me feel, it's wrong and it breaks my heart. And it's only then that I can be repentant. I've got to come to that point of sorrow. That sorrow that produces repentance, that removes regrets and leads to salvation. And then there's a sorrow that the world produces and it leads to death. It's filled with shame and misery, but there's never any change that results from it. We keep doing the same things until we're driven six feet into the ground. And when dealing with sin, when we feel that sorrow come on, when we acknowledge that what we've done is wrong, that we've made the wrong turn, when we were faced with choosing life or death out of rebellion or out of ignorance, we chose death. When that has happened, we need to respond to that sorrow. The psalmist responded to that sorrow, and you can read about it in Psalm 51. I encourage you to read the whole thing. But I want to read a few passages. In Psalm 51, Verses 10 through 13, he says this. He says to God, create in me a clean heart, O God. He's already acknowledged that his heart is what? Dirty. I mean, you don't clean something that's clean, do you? 
He's acknowledging that there's filth inside of him. In response to that conviction, that sorrow that is of the will of God that leads us to repentance, that produces the repentance, that doesn't have regret, that leads us to salvation. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and restore unto me a steadfast spirit. Steadfast means consistent. Consistent. If you need a steadfast spirit restored to you, what does that mean? It means you're acknowledging that you failed. You were inconsistent. I normally make good choices, but I really dropped the ball on this one. When you take the time to read these words, you can see the humility that's at the foundation of them. You can see the conviction that God appointed sorrow that produces repentance. Create in me a clean heart, because mine's dirty, and restore a steadfast spirit, because I blew it and I compromised. Don't cast me away from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Now verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation, and sustain in me a willing spirit. And then I'll teach those who are sin in sin your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. In verse 17, the psalmist reveals what it's going to take for this repentance to actually be effective. He talks about sacrifice, and he says, if you wanted sacrifice, I would do that, but that's not what you want. I mean, if God said, son, I'll forgive you if you do this really hard task, you've got to go climb Everest, then you would see every convicted sinner half frozen halfway up that peak trying to climb to the top to achieve what they know they need. But God's not like that. Rather, He's revealed to us what He wants. It's not that sacrifice. It's your heart. Verse 17 says, The sacrifice that God wants is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, God, you won't despise. It means you won't reject it. For us to be a repentant people, we've got to come to that place of brokenheartedness over the sin that exists in our lives. There can be no room for us to justify it, embrace it, or condone it in any way, shape, or form. But there must be a conviction that God-appointed sorrow that produces a repentance that leads to salvation. That's how we become a repentant people. Broken and contrite heart. If you look up those words... It's as if someone was writing and they were trying to describe something and they just couldn't make it intense enough. There are two words that, that mean the same thing in, in one sense. It's, it's, it's broken, it's shattered. And then the next word is, is crushed. A broken, shattered heart. No, 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 no. I mean a crushed heart. Everything about it completely broken down. That's what you want. There can be no room for this sin to stand justified in my life. I repent. I don't want to leave any space for it to be visited on weekends, to come around next year for one day. Well, it's my birthday. There can be no space for it. Shattered, crushed. My heart is completely broken over this matter. That's when God rushes in. When there's only room for him. When he's not required to share that space with even a hint of rebellion. And we see that transformation, that change. That is repentance. So here's what we need to pray for. 
I want to pray for this. I desire this. And, and I'm kind of tipping my hand. Some of you are going to realize, oh, my God, last time he prayed for me, he prayed for that. <laughs> You're going to crack the code here in a second. In fact, I'm just going to tell you the code. I want you to write down this passage of Scripture as we close. I mean, it's, I told you before we're going to find out what we need to pray for. It's right here. Romans chapter 2, verse 4 reveals something to us. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. In short, it says, It is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. We need to pray for that. I do pray for that often. And oftentimes when I'm praying with individuals that are desiring to see God do something great in their life, that's the foundation of the prayer. That young man that stood and bowed up in front of that council of men who were desiring to see him repent and said, I've done nothing wrong. I pray this for him. Father, Bless him with your kindness. If it's your kindness that leads to repentance, then he's short on an awareness or an understanding of your loving kindness. Father, even now where he sits, where he sleeps, where he stands, where he works, no matter what he's doing, bless him with your kindness. Let him be surrounded by your kindness. Let your kindness penetrate his mind and his heart and every aspect of his thinking be affected right now by your kindness. Please, Father, in Jesus' name. I pray the same for myself. Father, reveal to me your kindness. Father, thank you for your kindness. That's a prayer prayed with understanding because I know what kindness leads to. It leads to the change. It leads to the revival and the recovery of breath. The life that we desire. And as we pray together, let it be as a church. Father, let your kindness abide in this place. Let every man, woman, or child that steps foot in this place be greeted by your kindness. Let my life be surrendered for your kindness to flow through me. Let your kindness abide in this house. Let your kindness renew my mind. And let your kindness be within my heart. Let your kindness flow from my lips. Let your kindness be revealed in my actions. Let all that leads your people to repent flow through my life. And let me be the recipient of your kindness in full measure that I might repent myself. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.